uh, worldviews, um, and a little bit of apologetics as well. So I'm super excited. Uh, I, again, I just want to challenge you guys. What do you believe, and why do you believe it? evening. I'm not sure if I could meet all those criteria, but we'll try to figure out some things here this evening. I'm going to be reading a portion of scripture, a couple portion of scripture, and throughout this evening I find myself that it's a good time for me to honor some people here, and if there's anyone here that think they should have been honored and and I didn't get to it, then I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, uh, the question that was asked to me, that was put to me, is uh, telling how I got here and, and how it came to be. And uh, rightly so. Uh, let me find where I want to start here. I'll start with a. I'll start with Luke 9, 57 to 62. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. I'll start at uh, verse 51, actually. And it came to pass... When the time was come that he should that he should receive received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before him before his face, and they went and and entered into the villages of the Samaritans and to make ready for him, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when, the, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, "Ye you know not what manner of spirit he are off. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy man's life, but to save them. And they went they went to another village, and it came to pass that as he went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, the birds have their nests, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the, gospel, preach the kingdom of God. And another said, also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, I'll just read a little bit of uh, 
Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. It was interesting as I was trying to get, get things in my head, what I need to say. I grew up in an era which, um, I mean, today people would look at it and they'd say, oh, that's not so good. I don't like to talk about myself because of, uh, well, some people might think, think badly. I don't. I grew up with my grandmother. I grew up in Belize. At a young age, I remember my mom coming to the States. And she came to the States. And at that time, I didn't, didn't know much. But it didn't really affect me because from little, I was with my grandmother, me and my brothers. There was four of us. And, and we were always with her. I'd see my parents every weekend they'd come and and that was fine. I mean we we it was it was good arrangement. And she came to the States and I didn't know at the time but if she would like it then dad would come. Well a couple months later dad and I had a younger brother that was about that's he stayed with us during that time for those couple months. He came and he had always, he was always with my parents. And he was quite a bit younger than I was, five years. And later on, dad and him came to the States and they made home here. And I stayed there. Now, <clears throat> One of the reasons I choose some of these verses is because when we do things, God, God designed our life and God has everything worked out for us, how we're gonna, how we're gonna be. And sometimes for some people it's, it's not right, but when we follow God's plan and when we don't follow God's plans, it could end up one way or the other. Well, there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot of missionaries that come and go. And at a young age, I was always at the mission compound. Uh, and so there was one particular missionary on the mullet. They just buried him the other day and I call him my mentor because he is. And I've spent a lot of time with him. We, I'd, I'd go to tongue with him, and, and we'd go to a restaurant and eat, and, and uh, I mean, I was with him all the time. And I learned a lot from him. He taught me how to discern the Bible. He taught me how to look at scripture and how to interpret things. Sad to say, I didn't always, I mean, I, when I got older, it kind of just, I mean, he wasn't around, but it kind of got to the point where there was a lot of missionaries there, and I had, I mean, they, I respected them, and, and listened to them too, and, and friend with them, and, but it wasn't like, the same, you know. There was it was a different, and there was a time when I decided that oh, this wasn't for me, you know. Looking back, and 
nah, it's, it's not for me. So I, after I got out of high school, I took my own path and, but even though my grandmother wasn't a Christian, she was always concerned because she knew she knew how I used to live and what I was living then. And she was always concerned. And before, before I forget, before she died, she did become a Christian. And shortly before my, it was probably Paul and Frida came to Belize. And I remember my grandmother was sick and we had somebody helping. And, I remember when she died, I was, I was getting ready that morning. I went over to my brother, only his wife was home, to tell her that I was going to go and, and get my aunt, which would be her sister, my grand-aunt, to come down and come down because I think she was very sick. And on the way back home, I walked to their house. It wasn't very far. The lady that was taking care of her met me outside and, and she said, I think your grandmother passed. I said, okay, but now my uncle was, my grandmother had two children, my mom and my uncle. My uncle was a Baptist minister, so, but still I, you know, I, I knew him, I learned a lot from him, but I wasn't into being a Baptist because I knew what the word teach and I had learned to discern the word of God and, and at that point I pretty much knew what I believed. At the time my grandmother passed, I had already uh, I had already come back to the Lord. I was running around with some friends and one night I told him, I can't keep doing this. I'm going back to church. I'm going back. I said it's they said, Well you'll be back in a week. But my mind was pretty well made up. I knew the things I was doing was just because I was running away from what I know was right and what I believed. The lesson I want to say to you young people is when you get into, when you try to run from God, it's hard to tell where you're going to end up. And it's no stopping if you don't catch yourself early enough to understand why you're doing the things you're doing because you're trying to get away from God. Anyway, moving forward, my grandmother died and Paul Kaufman was one of the first <clears throat> missionaries that was there. I mean, when she died, he came and, and actually took the offer to help and uh, he took the body to, to the morgue and at that point, I had some decision to make. I had to get in touch with, with my uncle, and I figured once he comes, then everything is all right. I had to call both my brothers to tell them what had happened. And so there was a couple hours there that was pretty weighty for me, but I got through the day, and my uncle came, and then everything was on him because he was supposed to take care of it. But... <clears throat> I had a special friendship with Paul. He was a good mentor to me too. <clears throat> I remember Paul standing up and defending me in church. He came to me and he and, and he said, how do you feel? And, uh, and I said, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm going to serve God either way, what people think or what they don't think. And so I had kind of a special bond with Paul. I always admire him because... You never had to guess. If you ask him a question, he's going to be straight with you. And, you know, Paul, never beat around the bush. If he had something to say to you, he's going to say it. And I admire that. 
Well, <clears throat> about a year and a half or so later, my mom had did all the paperwork, and I was, I didn't want to move to the States, but she spent money, and what am I going to do? So am I just going to say no? And there was a lot of people in Belize that would wish they'd have that. And so it was a tough decision, but I made the decision to, to come. I was dating at the time, and uh, I said we could write. However, it worked out. If uh, it's not going to work out, let me know. And, but it worked out well. But I came to New York, and it was the first time I was ever in New York City. I was in the States before, but not New York City. And wow, that was a big thing. Well, I start working in New York. I remember Paul came up for Elam Kaufman's funeral. And I came out. Uh, I came out here. Well, before he came to, to came for Elam's funeral, I lived I lived in New York and I took the train and I'd come out uh, to Malglick and I'd go to Peckway Church and I'd be there and but None of my boys were old enough to be in the youth, so I'd be there. And I remember I would be with, uh, I would go with, Omar Flood would pick me up some evening, Sunday evening, and I'd be with some of the older, what they call the older uh, folks. They had their own little party, and so that's where I was. But just before we came up, Jake Diener, John Diener, John Butler, Levi King, Oh, there was a bunch of men that came down to do work on a project. And so I got to know some of the guys, not real close. But I was coming, every time I'd come out to church, I'd be at Peckway, and I knew there was other guys, but, I mean, I knew Mel, and that's where I'd take the train to Coatesville. And by the time I, I got a car, I uh, came out to... I came out and one day I ran into John and he was like, oh, come on up. When you come up, just come stay. I don't stay at my place, just let me know. And so I start coming out. I came with John and Jake and Ader. After that, every time I was out here, I'd stay at Jake and Ader with John. That's where I learned to eat shoe fly pie with milk because they had it for breakfast about Every, every Sunday morning or whatever, and so I, I learned to appreciate shoe fly pie with milk. Then Paul came out for the funeral, and I came out to be with Paul the weekend, and we went, I remember we drove into Lancaster, we were going into Lancaster, and Paul was driving, and in Belize there's no no street lights. There's no. There wasn't any red lights. Or, and Paul came up and he was gonna go right through this red light. And I says, "Whoa, Paul!" And he says, "Oh, I forgot. I'm not in Belize." But Paul took me over throughout that weekend, and he introduced me to Alvin Baller. That whole weekend, I was telling Paul, "I, I can't stay in New York too much." I said, "I." I said, I got to get out of New York. And he took me to Alvin Baller, and he introduced me to Alvin. And Alvin says, well, if you ever, ever come out here and you need a job, let me know. And, and so, but even before that, Alvin and Lenny had a daughter on that went to Belize and taught Bible school, and so, Anita, my wife, got to know her pretty good, and so they were pretty good friends, wrote back and forth and, and all that. Well, Paul told me that before he left that, that day, before I left, he said, I think you should honor your parents. If your parents don't want you to move out here, you should. And, and Paul says, well, you're old enough to 
to make a choice, he says, but you'd be better served, or you'll be a better witness to them if you just stay there and hang in there. And I told you Paul was a straight shooter. He, he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. But I went back, and things start working itself out. <clears throat> I end up losing the job that I had. And I, my dad had a friend that he met, and he had a gas station. And, and he gave me a job, and I went and worked for him. He was a Jamaican. I worked for him for a whole week, did about 60 hours. And when I went, he was talking about, I thought, well, I'll make some money here, and, and it'll be all right. But at the end of the week, he gave me $60 in all $1 bill. And I asked him, what's this? And he said, well, you're not exactly what I'm looking for. And I said, well, I think you should find somebody that you're looking for and pay him what you want. And, and so I left. I didn't make a big fuss about it. But my dad was offended because I did that. And he said, well, you're learning something. And I said, he can't teach me anything. My uncle had taught me a lot about repairs. And I was doing a lot of the stuff that they did at the gas station. I knew how to, how to do all that stuff. And so I told him. And well, I started getting a little, little racky with at home. And I remember dad getting up one morning and he said, Here's a place that's looking for a worker, and uh, I said, "Okay, I'll go. I'll go check." And I went. There was another service station with mechanical, and the criteria was that you had to work on Sunday. And I walked away and told him, "I'm no, I'm not, not doing that. I'm not, I'm not interested." I came home, and then Dad was furious, and he. We had always had discussion. He always wondered why I have to be a Mennonites. And, but most of the time that dad would ask that is when he's having a few drinks or something, then he wanted to discuss Bible. And I'd say, well, wait till you're sober, and then we could talk about it. And, and uh, we'd just end the conversation there. Well, this, I came home that evening, and I could tell that my mom was sitting there and something was on her mind. And it wasn't, and so I said to her, I said, what's bothering you? And she didn't want to say, but then I decided, well, I'm going to pry. And this was early in the evening. And she said, well, <clears throat> he said, dad's saying that if you don't want to work on Sunday and you don't want to do this, then you're going to have to find your own apartment. I told her, no problem, but that's fine. I went to my room, and I start reading my Bible and start meditating and praying and asking God which direction. And to me, this was, this was working fine in my favor. I had had my car. I just tuned it up. The week I worked for the guy, every uh, evening I got a chance, I put it on the lift and got everything ready. And, uh, Mom told me right there, he says, well, you know, you know how that is. He's not going to let you move around those Mennonites. I said, Mom, really, it's not that choice. If I got to find a place to live, I could choose to live in any state I want to live, and not necessarily in New York. He said, well, I don't know. He says, you know how your dad could get. So I, for fear, my, he wasn't home. I went to a friend that evening and I told my mom, if dad comes home and he's drinking and he start, just let me know, I'll come home and we'll deal with it. Well, I went out and that whole evening, I got in the space of maybe an hour and a half, two hours, I got three phone call. And I came out and I, after each phone call, I, I told my mom, she was still sitting out there, and she, the phone would ring, and she'd say, it's for me, and I'd answer it. And I told her, that's an offer I have. First, Levi King called me, and he says, I'm going to Belize. He says, I'm excited. And then he said, uh, 
would you come out and help my dad? He <clears throat> says, I'm afraid if I go, I mean, and he was the oldest, and he was pretty good help. And I said, well, I'll, I'll think about it, and I'll let you know. And after that, I got another call, and it was Urban Bartman. And I don't think any of these people out here knew what was going, taking place at that time. This had just happened, I mean, and, and he says, hey, he says, I got, you want to move out here? I got a place you could live, and, you know, I, he says, I, I could work some things out for you. I didn't, I didn't tell any of them what was happening either. And then I got a third call, and so I got up the next morning, and at breakfast table, I had my things packed, and I was ready to go. I told Dad that I think I'm going to move out to Pennsylvania. I says I had a few offer, and he was like, well, what are you going to do out there? I says, well, I, I don't know. I have a few offer. I have some options. And I said, I discussed it with Mom, and I'm just letting you know that this is what I'm going to do. And, and surprisingly, we didn't have much of an argument or anything, and and he just, he didn't, he wasn't thrilled about it, but I got in the car and I left. I told him bye, and I came out here. <coughs> so, and I started helping Eli. I started working for Alvin shortly after. But you know, all that time that I was here, I had a lot of friends in the youth group. Dave King, Levi, John, they all run together, Lloyd. And <clears throat> I know I was well accepted. I never felt unease. I never felt like I would that they that I would be any place that they were ashamed of me being with them or anything like that, you know. Wherever, whatever they were doing that evening, I was invited, and we, we got along. I ran around with them. Well, I <clears throat> worked with Alvin for a while, and then I'd help Eli. Eli worked pretty hard. Many times I, I felt like I'd come home, and then we'd eat supper, and, and I'd go out with him in the evening and help him get his, his excavating and his stuff done. But I was thankful for those people. But I want to honor Alvin and Lenny. I worked for them for a while, and they came down. They drove my car down for when I got married. They were at a wedding. And the next six years, we came back and forth. And, and uh, every time we'd come, there was no problem. Lenny was glad for us to come there, our children growing up. Looking to them as grandparents. And I would say that even when it came that I bought a house. I had called my dad and I, I had told him, I said, I, I'd like to buy a house. <clears throat> and he says, how are you gonna do that if you don't wanna work on Sunday? And, and it came right back to the same thing we had before and I said, okay, fine. But I remember when we bought our house Lenny called my wife right away and wondered when they could go see it. When could we start decorating it? When could we make plans as to what we could do? When could we get in? I am grateful for the people that God have placed around me. I want to close with a verse. Uh, there's a lot more I could say, but I just wanted to honor those people that 
that meant a lot to me and still do. Matthew 19, 29, I want to close with that verse. And everyone that had forsaken house and brethren and sister and father and mother or wife or children or land for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. The thing I'd like, the challenge I'd like to left with you, not a There were some people that saw what they can do and did it and reached out. And I'm not sure God prepared them for all that. And I could have told you that even shortly after we moved here, Alvin, they went to Belize and we had been in and out. We had been living there for a while. And then they went to Belize. You know, there, they went there for for a period of time and we were here. It seemed, didn't seem right, but then at that time I saw that God maybe was preparing them for that, with us being there too. And you know, I, I don't know, but you know, a lot of people liked Alvin and when they found out I worked for him, it was even more. You know, but the thing is, God will bless us and God will bring people in our lives that, that will guide us. And, and when we listen to God and when we do what he wants us to do, we don't, you know, to me, I seem, it seems like God has surrounded me with more parents than I needed. But that have made my faith strong. I told you about Andamalet. When I moved here, my faith rocked many a time because there was some some things I didn't understand but I could always call Andy anytime and I would tell him this is what's going on and help me to discern this help me to figure this out and he always did you know he'd spend time on the phone with me to explain it to me but God always provides for us and there's a verse in Psalms that says that when mother and father and everyone forsake you, God won't. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that when we're committed to serve you and when we walk with you and when we follow your leading, Father, that you will guide us. And we thank you, Lord, that you bring people into our lives that surround us and that helps us to uh, carry true and to stand firm in your on your principles and your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you bless the many people that have done that here in Weavertown. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to guide and bless this church. Father, we pray for the remainder of the service. We pray, Lord, that we might understand why we believe what we believe and that we could stand firm in our faith. God and direct us. This we ask through Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you, Kelvin. I enjoyed hearing some more of your story. I feel like I've only heard, you know, little clips and bits and pieces from times that we've interacted. So I think Craig introduced me um, as Mr. Paul, and that's probably what I feel most comfortable with. I don't know. It's a nice mixture, I suppose. My wife claims that if we're in a crowd of people and she's trying to get my attention, she can say my name and all kinds of stuff. But if she says Mr. Paul, then I'll, I'll listen. So I don't know what that means exactly, but that's who I am, I guess. I'm Mr. Paul. I want to look at a couple of verses from 1 Peter chapter 2 this evening. And you can turn there a while. When Craig contacted me about coming, he, he gave me 
a little bit of an idea and he and he listed listed those questions that he read earlier and i don't know if you have them anywhere but um i'm going to read those questions again i don't i don't know that i have answers for all those questions now that sounds like an apology right i don't know that i have answers and he's mentioned apologetics and that's not what apologetics is apologetics is not saying i'm sorry for something but it's more of giving a reason for or understanding. But his five questions were, why is it important for us to know what we believe rather than just being Mennonite? How does our worldview affect the way we live our lives? How can we defend our faith? Why is it that so many Christians do not know how to defend what they believe? And the fifth one was, how is the Christian worldview different than others? And so I don't know if you want to you know, stay awake and play a game and, and write those questions down and check, put a check beside it when you think maybe I've answered them, I, 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 you can. Um, but I don't know that I have uh, necessarily answers for those questions, but I'm hoping that, that some of the things that I, that I say here provide something that you might be able to use to answer those questions. Maybe they'll plant some seeds that'll grow into answers for those questions. Um, he said the committee was looking for something practical I hope that there's something that you can apply. Let me read the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. And it's the kind of thing where there's a couple of verses in there that I want to think about once or twice during my talk. Um, But I, I wasn't quite sure exactly where to start. So first 12 verses. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for, the, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we heard that word worldview, and maybe it's a a word that's overused or maybe it's underused or maybe it's misunderstood or confused um, I, I've got a couple of quotes here that that I want to use here the first one is from a, a book called Understanding the Times and it's kind of a definition and it's a nice working definition a worldview is a pattern of beliefs convictions and habits that help us make sense of God the world and our relationship to God and the world Now, I don't know if you paid attention to these verses here, but there's two different times where there's an idea about being part of something. And I think it's pretty clear in the the review there in verses 11 and 12 about being part of something where you're sojourners and exiles, where you're part of something that is honorable and that you're part of something that that the Gentiles or the non-believers... Uh, can benefit from so that on the day of visitation when Christ comes back that they are part of the people that they may see 
your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation sometime in the future. A worldview, a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God in the world. There's another one. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard of Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer said, said this, People function on the basis of their worldview more consistently than they themselves may even realize. The problem is not outward things. The problem is having and then acting upon the right worldview. The worldview which gives men and women the truth of what is. So he's saying there that, that our worldview, it's, it's, it's ideas, but those ideas work out or flesh out in our actions. It's those beliefs that turn into actions. That's the physical part of it. Um, you know, people function. They, they live out their worldview more consistently than they may even realize that they are. And so how we think about the world, what our pattern of ideas are, what we believe is pretty important because it's going gonna, it's gonna to flesh out. Um, in, in the... In the one class that I teach, it's called Worldviews, and there's there's three words that that I I guess would be the three words that I hope the students remember. You know, uh, if you, they don't remember anything else, if they would just remember, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And you think about things that have happened throughout all of the world. You know, wars that happen, awful wars that have happened, genocides that have happened. You know, it's. It's, it's, it was birthed in some idea somewhere, and it has some consequence and some pretty sad and devastating consequences sometimes. But there are things that, ideas that have some good and positive consequences as well. And I think we could think, think of those, um, you know, um, I'll talk about it a little bit later on, but yesterday I was at, at a, a thing that was happening, a, a presentation, a information uh, day called uh, Advance 1040. And, you know, there are some ideas that are happening there that have some good consequences where where people are, are giving of themselves to work with people that that aren't as blessed as we are because they haven't been born in a safe country like we have, maybe. C.S. Lewis wrote this in a book, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. C.S. Lewis is comparing uh, a worldview with the sun. We can see the sun. You can see worldviews, but the sun is also what lets us see anything. And so, a worldview, a collection, a pattern of ideas, beliefs, and convictions, is is what can help us see and understand what's going on. You know, ideas have consequences, and ideas can be like a virus. You know, uh, there's a common phrase, you know, something's going viral. It just means that it's spreading quickly. And that's, that's one way that ideas are like viruses. Um, it, it can spread quickly. Um, you know, a lot of times a virus will spread from person to person, uh, and they can grow exponentially, these ideas. That's that idea of going viral. Um, ideas and viruses both need the right conditions to grow. You know, if a virus has the right conditions, or maybe you want to think about a bacteria, if it has the right conditions, it'll grow quite well. But if the conditions aren't quite right, it'll maybe not survive and maybe die out. And, and sometimes bad ideas in the right conditions can grow fast or you know, if the conditions are managed or controlled or, or worked with, maybe they won't grow. Both ideas and viruses can be slowed or maybe stopped by appropriate, measure, by appropriate measures. And, you know, it sounds like we're talking about ideas being a bad thing. Uh, but some ideas are good and others are bad. But, but good ideas spread in the same way or can spread in the same ways, and that's a good thing. So, you know, our world view, as I want to think about it, is our view of God, our view of humanity, our view of the world. And so a biblical worldview can show us what God is really like and where to turn for answers to our 
big life questions. But non-biblical worldviews, maybe you want to call them fake worldviews, uh, they might trick us into looking to other places for all the wrong answers. And unfortunately, they're everywhere. Places, sources for bad ideas are everywhere. Um, television, books, magazines, conversations with friends and families. And, you know, we can sometimes catch those bad ideas just like we catch a cold. We may not even know that we're sick from it until it's too late. Someone introduced me to this quote recently by Oz Guinness, and I haven't read the book that he wrote that it's in, but I have the quote here, and I want to I look at that a little bit. Thinking Christianly is thinking by Christians about anything and everything in a consistently Christian way, in a manner that is shaped, directed, and restrained by the truth of God's Word and God's Spirit. And we could probably change this saying to think Mennonitely or to think Anabaptistly. Um, but the idea is that, you know, if we're thinking about something, uh, we're going to describe it in a certain way. Um, and, and as we describe it is how we're going to, you know, if it's a problem, figure out a solution for it. I have a, a, a van that I'm not driving right now because when I started, it makes an awful racket. And the objective truth is there that it makes an awful racket. And, and I had one person listen to it, and they described it a certain way. And because of what they described, they said, here's the prescription. Here's the solution of what needs to happen. I asked someone else, and, and the, one, the, one, the first person I asked, they described it, and they said the prescription is taken to the junkyard. Well, that's right, I really like that. Uh, I asked someone else, and he said he described it differently. And because he described it differently, the same racket, uh, he prescribed something different, which wasn't quite taken to the junkyard, but um, he said, you know, it's possible to fix it. And so maybe I like that a little bit more. And so, you know, sometimes we might like some descriptions and prescriptions better than others because they kind of feel good to us. And maybe that's where the danger is. Sometimes things that uh, feel good might not be right. So, you know, the description can be right, uh, but the prescription might be wrong even for the right description. Or the description might be wrong for the problem, and with a wrong description, you're probably never going to get the right prescription. You can think about prescriptions for eyeglasses in the same way. Um, if you're farsighted and they, give, they say you're nearsighted, they give you a prescription for nearsightedness, it's just not going to work. So, you know, ideas have consequences. Um, and we could, look at, we could look at some different things to think about uh, what kinds of consequences they might have. I was thinking about uh, a song, and the song is a familiar one, but I won't sing it. Um, but it's the song, The Love of God. And you know, the, some of the lyrics there, um, we can get worldviews, we can get understandings about how to view the world from songs, you know, what kind of consequence would this idea kind of have? You know, if you're thinking about these ideas in this song, what kinds of actions could play out here? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies a parchment made, were, the, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though it stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. And it goes on. You know, what kind of consequences come about from that kind of thinking, thinking about a song like that? I mentioned that yesterday I was at uh, um, Advanced 1040's publicity event, and you know I, I realized that I have a narrow view of the world, and I haven't, and I needed my view widened a little bit, um, and it, it's it's making me think about things maybe a little differently. One of the presentations there was by someone who's working in I think Iraq um, with 
through or organization or with boys they're, I think they're calling them survivor boys, but they're boys that, that had been captured by ISIS and, and were taught to fight, taught to make bombs, and, and, and now that ISIS is kind of being dismantled, uh, they're kind of around, and some of them are going home, and you know it's been two or three years since they've been home. Um, when they were taken, they might have been 12 or 13 or 14, maybe 15, um, made to make bombs and run missions and errands for ISIS, you know, and, and it just made me realize that, you know, my my view, <laughs> what am I doing here in my little area of, of Lancaster County that's that seems kind of meaningless in something big like that, you know? Uh, what is my world view? How do I think about that? And then how do I apply that to where I'm at right now? Maybe let's just change gears just a tiny bit here. Uh, the word apologetics was used and you know we can think about apologetics in a couple of different ways there's apologetics that are for some things that that say why this is right there's also apologetics that's done that says here's some problems with some other things and I want to think about that just a little bit we said I said a little bit earlier that a worldview can be kind of like a virus and you know, because our, our body can be infected with a virus, our mind can be infected with bad ideas in kind of the same way. So let's think about what do you do when your body gets infected with a virus or maybe a bacteria? You know, I think there's some things you could do. You could do nothing, right? You could do nothing. Uh, you could pay attention to history uh, and reinforce uh, previous preparations. You could warn about the possibility of this infection. You could talk about bad things being possible and, and that's it. Uh, you could inoculate or work, use a vaccine, get a small exposure to it through safe channels. Um, you could learn about ways to, to argue against bad ideas or see where they're not great ideas. Um, and so I guess you could think about this and maybe three or four different terms, you know, you could inoculate and refute and you could prepare, which those are good things to do. Doing nothing would probably not be a very good thing to do. There's a book by uh, Jeff Myers called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, and, and he talks about four eyes. Identify, isolate, inform, and invest. And he's talking about, you know, battling against bad ideas, the secret battle of ideas about God. You know, identify bad ideas that are generated by false worldviews. Uh, isolate the features of bad ideas that are most likely to take us captive. You know, there's bad ideas that we can kind of latch on to. Um, inform others on how to find love, healing, purpose, and peace and hope through Jesus. And his last eye was invest. Invest in those who've been sickened by bad ideas so they can emerge stronger than ever. As I think about that, that concept of investing in those that have been sickened by bad ideas so they can emerge stronger than ever, it's not, in a, very, it's not a very efficient thing to do, investing in people's lives. And, and sometimes I think that I say, well, that's not very efficient. I'm not going to do it. But it sometimes is very, very effective. You know, that kind of investment, maybe we would call discipleship. And discipleship happens on one-on-one -on -one kinds of levels and small groups. And there's where it's not efficient to do. Um, but there's some other parts of that as well that we need to think about. Identify, isolate, inform, invest. Uh, maybe the inform part is something that we need to work out a little bit more. And this this just happened this afternoon, and I kind of added it in here, um, that idea of informing. You know, we have a task to do, if you're my age or younger, to inform our children. We have a task to do to inform our children about bad ideas um, and good ideas, and, and help them learn that. So this isn't a, a, as serious as that, but it is an example of, you know, if we're not informing, it, it's, it's not great. It's, things can go bad. 
So this afternoon I went for I went for a jog and I took my daughter along with me and she went rode on her bike. And I didn't do a very good job of informing. I told her that that we're gonna we're gonna we had done this before. I said we're gonna go in a little different way than we went before. Um, and the whole time I was chasing after her. She was on a bike and my sneakers only had slow gear today. And where I wanted to turn left and then go there and then come back, she was already up the hill ahead of me. And so I had to chase after her and we didn't go that way. We went some other way. Um, and so she was pretty far ahead from ahead of me and I, I probably should have spent some time informing before she left, before we got too far along in life. And so I was thinking about that a little bit then as I was trying to catch up to her, you know. If I would have informed her, this wouldn't be so hard on me. And is it the same way as when we were raising our children, you know? We need to invest some time. We need to spend some time informing early or else we're going to be catching up. And I don't know how it is, how it is <clears throat> for you. It seems like raising our children, things just go too fast. And it seems like I'm always running after them. And, and I think in, in our age where technology is is growing and advancing so fast feels like I can't hardly keep up with it and I don't know that I mean it's kind of interesting to me but I I can see that you know if, I, if I'm not doing a good job informing I'm going to be like this jog I'm going to be catching up too much trying to catch up and and I don't want that to happen for my children I want them to be informed so that bad things don't happen <clears throat> so that they can grow and develop uh, good ideas. <clears throat> so back here in 1 Peter, we looked at some verses here, and there's, there's two words in there, three words, I guess. There's three words in there that, that are, are quite interesting to me to think about. And I've, I don't have the answers here, um, but I've been mulling over them, and, and I'd like you to think about them as well. There in verse 11, there's this urging, and, and in what I read, I read it as sojourners and exiles, and I think maybe in the King James it says strangers and pilgrims. You know, what does it mean to be a stranger? Or what does it mean to be uh, a sojourner? What does it mean? And maybe I, let's think about stranger a little bit. I think the idea there is, as the world, is that we're doing things differently. And you know, Kelvin talked about some things about doing things differently, and that was strange. Uh, maybe in some ways it was strange to his father, and he couldn't quite make sense of it. And here we're being called to do some strange things. For example, not working on Sunday. Um, and, and there's other things. <clears throat> and, you know, we could, <clears throat> we could take that idea there as strangers, and, and we could take it, you know, maybe to its intended consequence, maybe a little farther. You know, we could we could just completely isolate ourselves. We could do things differently. Um, we don't invite or encourage others to join us and just, you know, very separate. And that would be, we would be quite strange. That would be strangers. Um, but there's also that word there, pilgrims. You know, what is a pilgrim or what is a an exile, someone living somewhere else. You know, we could make our living here on earth. We could make this earth our home. And just that word pilgrim by itself, you know, if we just take that to its intended end, maybe, you know, we could, we could end up living by what feels good. We could live out my life, my rules kind of mentality and not think too much more about the stranger part. But there's that word in there that we're, that we're to be and strangers and pilgrims, sojourners and exiles. And I think that that's what makes this very different. There's this living in a balance that I don't know that I have uh, a whole lot of answers to, but I think it's something that we need to think about. What does it mean to live with that balance of being strange and pilgrims? Because <clears throat> we're not here on earth as our final home. In some ways, maybe you could think about it as we're camping here. We're camping here on earth. Um, and, and when you go camping, you live there, you enjoy it, but you know you're going back home. You're not staying in the woods forever, maybe. 
strangers and pilgrims. So there's kind of a balance there. So what does it mean to be Mennonite or to be Anabaptist? And there's, there's a lot of different things that we could think about. We could think about the authority of Scripture. And that's something that's part of or needs to be part of our Anabaptist worldview. The way that we think about the world, the way that we describe the problems in the world, and the way that we prescribe solutions uh, needs to be based on an authority of Scripture being the supreme authority. Not theologians necessarily, but Scripture. Um, we need to think about the, the Bible here as, as having a, a New Testament part and an Old Testament part. That's part of, you know, what it means, I think, to think as an Anabaptist. I think we need to think about that this Bible is accessible. I think that's a key part of an Anabaptist worldview, that it's accessible. We can read it and we can understand it. We, it doesn't take special secret knowledge to interpret. It's accessible to us. The Holy Spirit can help us with that uh, accessing it and understanding it. There's a lot of different other pieces that we could talk about um, as part of, of what it means to, to look at the world as an Anabaptist, what our, our set of beliefs are that, that have consequences that drive us to do certain things. You know, we could talk about things like children are innocent um, until some kind of age of accountability. You know, that's an idea that's very different than the Catholic Church idea, where the Catholic Church baptizes infants because of an idea. We don't baptize infants because of an idea that has a consequence. I think that Anabaptists want the church to be a visible church, not invisible. Um, I think that Anabaptists want to think about the two-kingdom perspective, um, that we are exiles. <clears throat> I think that, you know, another key part of, of maybe an Anabaptist worldview is, is local congregations. Local congregations that, are, that have qualifications and responsibilities to, to develop leaders within them. <clears throat> you know, we talk about some things as, as Mennonites of loving our enemies. And that's an idea that has great consequences. But what kind of consequences does it mean to love our enemies? How do we love those that maybe we don't want to fight, but, you know, that are our enemies? Um, evildoers, what does that mean? And, I, you know, I had to really think some more about that as I was listening to some of the, the things that people might be doing in the, in the 1040 in the Muslim world, um, responding to, to evil that's happened there. So I guess maybe to wrap things up here a little bit, you know, Craig's five questions, I've kind of reorganized them here. Um, did I answer any of these questions? How does our worldview affect the way we live our lives? Well, I think I maybe provided some things for it, but, but I guess a worldview, it describes and it prescribes. And so our, a worldview can affect the way we live our lives and the choices that we make, you know, how we think through something and then what we do about it. How is it that the Christian worldview is different than others? I don't know. Did I answer that question? Did I provide any fodder for it? Um, you know, there are, there are some people that just live this, their life here on earth and think that this is it. And I think that as Christians, we live differently because we realize this is not our final resting place. This is not our home, that we're just camping here for a little while. And while we need to be strangers, we also are pilgrims, but we want to bring others with us. <clears throat> Why is it important for us to know what we believe rather than just being a Mennonite? I don't know. I, I thought about my bike ride, I mean, my, my jog this afternoon and, and bike ride. You know, there's an important reason uh, for us to know what we believe. 
because otherwise we're just going to be chasing after our children, trying to catch up to them and, and steer them in the right direction. You know, if we're if we're informing, maybe we can do some steering early on before it's before it's uh, trying to control something or fix something, but maybe a guiding and directing more of a coaching role. Another one of his questions: Why is it that so many Christians do not? know how to defend what they believe Did I provide any answers to that question or, or fodder for you to think about that um, I think before I think I think a lot of Christians don't know how to defend what they believe probably because they're not even sure what they believe living life unintentionally instead of intentionally so we need to know what we believe his it was his third question, but I have it listed here last. How can we defend our faith? Um, we need to know what we believe. We need to see how, how our beliefs work out in action and recognize that it's, in, that it's uh, um, that it's going to make a difference. And we need to understand what kind of differences it makes so that we can start talking about it to others. So thank you for the opportunity and uh, pray that we could all um, understand that ideas do have consequences and I pray that we could um, make sure that we do what we can to be informed, um, that we can guard against some bad ideas and, and it may mean some exposure to bad ideas in a safe way so that we can be able to refute them and to see where they where they fall apart.